If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 13, uh, walking through those few verses uh, that we read just a, just a couple moments ago. And uh, John chapter 13, verses 18 through 30. Uh, and our theme this morning is the invisible war. The invisible war. I, I grew up a G.I. Joe kid. That was kind of my, my, uh, my era. And uh, there was a certain string of years growing up where I think just about every clothing, article of clothing I had was camouflage. And, and my time was spent outside playing in the woods with my toy guns and, and just playing out and uh, imagining and pretending that I'm in this war that nobody else can see. Uh, my friends would come over and we would build like trenches and, and foxholes and, and just, you know, just, just played and played and played. And, and the, if anybody could just see us out there, they would be like, what are they doing? And, uh, it, but we knew what we were doing. We were fighting this invisible war that nobody else could see. Uh, and I share that because uh, as I grew up from a kid and then kind of into teenager and then teenager into young adult, and then young adult into, uh, I think, what I'm called as a median adult now, <laughs> whatever that means. Uh, you, as you grow up, you, you realize that, that there, is, there is such thing as an invisible war. And it's a war that every single one of us understand because it is a war that takes place in our hearts and it takes place in our minds and it is this invisible war against sin and temptation. Sin is as old as the garden. We're introduced to it in, in, in the creation account of Genesis. And we see that God gave Adam and Eve this incredible choice. And that choice was to love God and to live in His design and experience blessing or that, that choice to, to choose to kind of go their own way and depart from God's design. And any departure from God's design and God's way is called sin. And sin leads to this place of brokenness. And we try to fix that brokenness, but we can't. Only God can heal us and heal those broken areas of our lives when we do life our own way, the Bible calls that sin. And the Bible reminds us and teaches us what we already know about ourselves. And that is that we make sinful choices and make more sinful choices and make more sinful choices. That the Bible's clear. We understand that we're sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. But we also know that that sin that is seen outside of our lives takes place way earlier in our hearts and in our minds in this invisible war and in this, and in this battle below the surface. I am a sinner. I married my wife, Amber. She's a sinner. We have five younger sinners in our house. Uh, we, we, it, it's, you know, it's amazing how you, you don't have to teach Sin, it's it's it it just it happens. We have a a 19 month old, and I in the early service at eight o'clock, I said I have a 19 year old, and I said it a couple times. And after service, somebody came up, they're like, "You have a 19 year old?" And I'm like, "Oh, I meant my 19 month old, my 19 month old." Uh, I mean, even just it happens on a daily basis. But it, I just look at him, and if I tell him no, like that's not my design for your life, he he does this really weird thing where he finds the nearest wall and he just hits his head against the wall. Like, he's going to have this red mark on his head. Like, 
I promise you, like, he, he just, you tell him no, he just finds whatever he can find, and he just hits his head. And, and, and what's amazing is, like, nobody had to teach him what this rebellion looks like. It's just, it's just there. And he's like, I don't like your way. I want to go my way, and I'm going to show you I don't like your way, and I'm going to hit my head against the closest wall that I can find. Uh, and so as sinners, we desperately need the good news of Jesus. We desperately need His forgiveness. We desperately need His grace. We desperately need that restoration in our relationship with God that only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus. And it's only made possible because of His perfect life, His substitutionary death, and His glorious resurrection. Like, that's the only way. That's the only way. And so our main idea in the message today is that the glory of Christ shines brightly in great darkness because what we're going to walk through is probably, uh, if not the, it is one of the darkest moments in the history of the world. It is this ultimate act of betrayal. Um, it is the betrayal of the disciple named Judas. And so if this story is new for you, we're going to learn God's incredible grace toward sinful people towards us. And for the believer, I think we have some incredible challenges that God's Word brings to our hearts. It's encouraging and challenging as we look at this text. So before we just go into verse 18, just a little bit of context. I mentioned uh, this is the Thursday night of the last week of earthly ministry of Jesus. We're we're less than 24 hours from the moment where He will be crucified on a cross. He had just got done washing the disciples' feet and celebrating Passover with His disciples and ending Passover and instituting communion. Uh, and He's continuing in His teaching. And He was talking to Peter. If y'all remember, He was washing Peter's feet. And Peter was, and this is my summary, He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Don't do that. And and, and Jesus is telling me, listen, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part of me. And then Peter's just like, no, not just my feet, my hands and my head, like everything. Uh, and, and so he, he uses this metaphor of cleansing as that picture of salvation. When somebody places their faith and trust in Jesus, you're cleansed. And, and so he's teaching this, this, this incredible spiritual truth through this act of washing feet and Back in John 13, verse 10 and 11, he's talking to Simon. He says, and you are clean. So he's talking to Peter. You are clean. In other words, you do have a relationship with me. You have repented and believed in me. You are clean. You are cleansed. But he says, you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. So we think about it, Judas. Judas had this incredible privilege for somewhere in the, around the neighborhood of three to three and a half years. Judas had a front row seat to the life and ministry of Jesus. That he was in that inner circle of those 12 disciples. We know there was even in a more inner circle, Peter, James, and John. But he had that front row seat. like He witnessed the authority and the power of Jesus over physical illness and sickness and sin and death and nature and demonic uh, power. He saw the whole thing in a front row seat to all of that. 
And yet, after three and a half years of having a front row seat to the grace and truth of the Son of God, God in the flesh, He betrayed Him to His death. That He is the most notorious traitor in the Bible and all of history. If you see the names of the disciples and given in any kind of list, you'll notice Judas's name is always the last one. And Judas, although it appeared, and we're going to see this in a moment, it appeared from the disciples like he had the outward behavior thing down pat. So much so that when Jesus does bring to the attention of the disciples that somebody's going to betray them, they're not thinking Judas. Like he's not the first name. It's like, oh yeah, I bet it's Judas. Like they don't even know. So evidently, Judas had, had, had worked hard enough at keeping this outward look of being a follower of Jesus down pat to where though outwardly it looked like he had a relationship with him, inwardly his heart was far from God. Judas's heart was hardened to the gospel. And we don't know why. We don't know. Maybe the whole thing wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Christ was popular uh, and uh, throngs of people uh, wanting to make him king. And maybe he thought, hey, like this is the time where Jesus is going to overturn Rome and and I'm going to get to be right there by his side or maybe I'll have a place of prominence or prestige or 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 even in his life what we see in scripture we see these these evidences of just selfish greed and ambition and just uh, giving in giving in giving in giving in and this just kind of willful unrepentant uh, sinful action after sinful action and just keeps on and keeps on we see his heart at another foot washing that was in Bethany just a little while earlier. John chapter 12 tells us about that event. The Bible says in John 12 verse 3 through 6 that Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. In other words, there's an invisible war that is going on in the heart of Judas. You can't see it. It's not seen to the outside eye, but it is this war that is going on in the heart and the mind of Judas and this continual giving into his selfish desire. And what we see is almost like a snowball. If you think about a snowball starting at the top of a mountain and it just goes down this hill and it's just gaining speed and it's growing. And as Judas continues unrepentantly to continue to give in and give in and give himself over to temptation, it just rolls and rolls and his heart is getting harder and harder and harder to the point that it leads to what we're reading about in John chapter 13 in this ultimate betrayal. But isn't that how sin works? Like, I don't know what it looked like when Judas initially started following Jesus, but I don't think in that day he was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver and, and I'm going to turn him over and it's gonna, it's gonna, he's going to be crucified because of what I'm going to do. I, I don't think he woke up with that. I don't think anybody wakes up thinking they want to hurt 
the people they love most, people they care about most. But rather, as the song goes, it's like this slow fade. It just continues to jet by unrepentant behavior, responding to the grace of God, just bypassing to the point where he just continues to willfully give himself to sin. And so the betrayal's in motion. Matthew 26, Matthew's Gospel says in verse 14, one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they said, or they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So again, this is all building and it's all culminating. Judas was a co-conspirator in the crucifixion of Jesus And it's very possible, we don't know, but if you know, Jesus only told two of His disciples where they were going to have this final meal. He didn't tell all of them. And so if He told all of them, who knows, Judas may have led the mob right there to that upper room. But they're there, and and He's kind of got this covert operation that is going on. And it's following the foot washing and following Jesus, letting Him know that not all of you are clean, that verse 18 of John 13 says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. I love, this is one of the, this is one of the most solid, tangible, um, facts, evidences that the Bible is true is because we see in Christ fulfilled prophecy of the Old Testament after fulfilled prophecy of the Old Testament. He's telling them, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. And when it does, you're going to understand. So the Lord had chosen them. He chose Judas, uh, understanding that Judas would fulfill what Psalm 41 verse 9 said. That's what Jesus just quoted in your Bibles. You'll notice there's quotations because what Jesus is doing is He's quoting what was, what was prophesied just years, centuries before Christ. That King David, this is a messianic prophecy, King David was betrayed by a close friend, a trusted companion, one who shared a meal with him. By the way, the sharing of a meal was a was deep, meaningful companionship and friendship. But let's be encouraged. Like This isn't like a surprise. Jesus isn't surprised by His treachery. Like Jesus isn't like, oh no, Judas is going to betray me. What's going on? Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. He's even telling them what's going to happen so that they'll understand And so nobody takes Jesus' life from him. He lays it down willingly and only he can raise it back up. He says this in John 10 verse 18. Jesus said, speaking about his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So let's be encouraged. That's why I say in the darkest night, in in the darkest dark, God's light shines gloriously. This looks like a super dark moment, but just know what's going to happen in just a few days. He'll rise from the dead. And so in verse 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. 
Oftentimes, when we talk about somebody beginning a relationship with Jesus through repenting, and we say that word, Jesus uses that word. Uh, That word means it's a change of mind, it's a change of behavior, it's a change of direction. You're headed this way towards sin and self. You repent and you turn this way toward Christ. You surrender your Christ, surrender your heart to Jesus as Lord. And so when we say that, oftentimes we say receive, you receive Jesus so that receiving is, is synonymous with repentance and faith. And so he's talking about those who receive him. And in verse 21, Jesus says, or the Bible says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Like Jesus was in anguish. He was hurting. He was troubled. That word means stirred up. It means unsettled. It means severe mental and spiritual turmoil. It's the same word used of Jesus when He was at His friend Lazarus's tomb. But don't miss this. Jesus was grieved because He knew what Judas was doing. And He knew what Judas was doing to Him. He was troubled by this hardness of heart. And Jesus understands that for the unrepentant heart that hell awaits. And he was in turmoil. He was troubled. One scholar says that in the present passage, Jesus' emotions are shown to be in a state of turmoil. His whole inner self convulsing at the thought that one of his closest followers betraying him to his enemies. And in verse 21 The Bible says that after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. So a couple observations as we walk through this dark, dark scene in Scripture. And this truth, it's an encouraging truth, is that Jesus sees the struggle that no one else does. Jesus sees the struggle that no one else does. There is an invisible war that has been raging in Judas's heart and in his mind. It is, it is unseen of the, the others who look into their life, but for Jesus, He sees and He knows. He understands. And evidently, Judas did a great job in playing the part, but Jesus knew where his heart was Nobody knew the invisible war with sin and temptation. Nobody except Jesus. God's knowledge and omniscience is encouraging to us. I love Psalm 139 verses 1 through 6. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. And my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind them before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, I love this, is too wonderful. It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And the psalmist is, is sharing what a beautiful truth this is that God sees the struggle no one else does. This is a blessing because there is that temptation in a heart to think about those areas of our life that we know don't bring glory to Him. And if we're honest, what we want to do oftentimes is we just want to go hide. We want to go hide. And we want to go hide and we want to pretend like God doesn't see and nobody else does and we just keep 
doing and, and being in the invisible war and the war just keeps raging. But that's what Adam and Eve did. What, what happened when they chose to depart from God's design and to go their way? What did they do? They went and they hid. They went and they hid and they're thinking, they're thinking okay, if I hide from God, He's not going to know what's going on. But do you see the grace of God pursuing Adam and Eve? That though they rejected Him and His design, what does God do? God goes, God goes after them. And not only does He go after them, but if you read the Word, what you see is there will be an animal that was sacrificed in order to create coverings that would cover Adam and Eve from their shame. And what that is, it is a, it is a picture of the gospel of Jesus that there will come a day when Jesus Christ will be sacrificed and His blood will be shed. Why? So that we can be covered. So that our sin can be covered. So this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. The stuff unseen by the world is seen by the one who made it. And if you've ever tried to cover up a big secret, and it can be a good secret. Like, if you, if you ever tried covering up a good secret, yeah, it's so hard. But all of us probably have some experience of trying to keep something hidden. And if it's something of any consequence, it can be exhausting. Can you imagine how exhausted Judas must be for the past three and a half years this brother has been keeping up this outward front? All the while his heart is far from God. But here is this good news. Guess what? God still loves us. God still loves you. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. That even though I am prone to wonder as the song goes, Lord, I feel it. And even though I am a sinner that has been rescued by God's grace, that God in the midst of a sinful world has pursued us. Think about this. Jesus just washed this brother's feet. And I mentioned this last week, but imagine washing the person's feet that is conspiring to have you murdered. And this is what Jesus is doing. And then Jesus says, as I'm doing for you, you do for one another. It's a powerful Powerful picture. And so Jesus sees the struggle no one else does. He sees everything. And this is encouraging for us. Because even in the struggle, we see Jesus offers grace. Look at verse 22. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom He spoke. We know this story. Maybe some of you have read this story since you were a little kid. And you're like, we shake our head at Judas and we, we know this story. It's like, of course it's Judas, but... The disciples, they honestly don't know. Like Judas does not come to mind, but yet here they are and they're uncertain of what's going on. And, and so here it is, this, invigil, this invisible war is raging. And guess what? The whole secret sin thing that he's struggling with, it only stays secret for a season because ultimately we're about to see this whole thing, this whole thing explode in the Garden of Gethsemane. Numbers 32.23 says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure that your sin will find you out. I've heard it been said that any sin we cover, God uncovers. 
And then he said, we uncover, God covers. It's this beautiful picture of the grace of God and His mercy and grace and His forgiveness. So again, it's only secret for a while. And in the whirlwind of the invisible war, Jesus continues to extend grace. He continues to extend grace. Look at verse 23. One of His disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. This is John, the disciple John. And so Simon Peter motioned to him, asked Jesus of whom he was speaking. Again, Simon Peter, never a lack of wanting to be in the mix and telling people you know, what to do. Or like, He's like, you ask him, John. And, uh, and so that disciple, verse 25, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And evidently, he didn't say it loud enough or nobody else took note or heard what was said. But in this setting, there's nobody upstairs except for Jesus and the disciples. Jesus would have been in that role of host. And it said that the host to take a, a morsel of the food and to dip it in the, in, the, in, the, in the community bowl and to then offer it as a, uh, as a, as a, gift, to, uh, as a gift to anybody in the room. That would be considered a, a sign of deep friendship, deep companionship, that this giving of this morsel would be a mark of honor. And so not only is he honoring Judas, but it seems like he's not having to work too hard to get the morsel to him. Again, we don't know this, but it seems as though Judas is sitting close to Jesus, perhaps right beside Jesus, which Jesus warns or, or encourages always. Hey, like when you go in to, to any kind of meal, like don't go straight for the seat of honor. Like let others have that. It's better you be invited to that seat. Why? Because the seat closest to the host is the seat of honor. Where is Judas in the seat of honor? And Jesus is continuing this act of grace that's not deserved, this act of mercy that's not deserved. He, in this offer of companionship and friendship, he offers the dipped morsel to his, to his ultimately his betrayer in Judas. In verse 27, the Bible says, Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. That in the face of grace, Judas once again willfully rejects the grace of God. And now he has continued to do this over his life. And now we see that he has hardened his heart yet again to the point where Judas is now satanically oppressed. That Jesus is talking to Satan in this Next breath, verse 27, Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. What you're going to do, do quickly. And now one of them at the table knew why he said this to him. And some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling them, but what you need, buy what you need for the feast or that, you, or that he should give something to the poor. So that after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. It was the hour of darkness. So often, 
uh, spiritual darkness is a metaphor for physical darkness or physical darkness, a metaphor for spiritual darkness. This is the hour of darkness. This is the hour when Judas has been um, possessed by Satan himself to carry out this ultimate betrayal. That he giving himself over to greed and ambition in the invisible war over and over again, silently struggling, ultimately cost Judas his life. Jesus sees the struggle that no one else does. Jesus offers grace in the struggle. I want us to hear that theme of grace. But we also see that rejecting Christ carries eternal consequences. Rejecting Christ carries eternal consequences. All we can gather is that Judas left and he went straight to the Sanhedrin. Uh, he was looking for an opportune time. Mark's Gospel over in Mark 14 talks about finding this opportune time. Mark 14 verse 10 and 11 says, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Other passages in the Gospels let us know they're looking for a time where there's no crowd around. That Judas understood that the custom of Jesus was to go to the garden and to pray. And if you know the rest of the story, and we'll get there in the weeks ahead, but we understand that ultimately this is where Judas brought the mob and he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. What we see from there is this distress, this prisoner of sin in torment and guilt and shame and condemnation and misery and the cover-up and the whole thing ultimately led Judas. And this is what's tragic. Judas got to this point where he saw no other way out than to take his life. He saw no other way out. Matthew's Gospel walks us through that, that account in Matthew 27 verses 3-10. through 10. And then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind, brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and he hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. And so they took counsel and they bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying that they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him of whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed them. This is a tragic story. Tragic story. Outside behavior, evidently he had that part down, but yet his heart was far from God and he continued to reject and continue to reject and continue to reject and continue to reject and to the point which, and this is so tragic, he saw this was his perhaps his only choice, to which I would say, I'm not going to get into the statistics and I'm not going to get into all that, but I just know that there is a very good possibility that there is somebody or has been somebody 
who have reached that point where they sense that that is the only way. And to which I would just plead with you that you would hear and see the grace of God extending to you His desire to rescue you and to heal you, bring healing to those broken areas of your life. This invisible war raged and raged and raged all in silence to the point of what we read in John chapter 13. And what we see is that as far as we know, as far as we read that Judas to the end rejected Christ. And that we see in Scripture that the penalty, the judgment that awaits those who reject Christ is eternity in hell. And I say that in trembling. The Bible describes hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Apart from the presence of God. But God was extending His grace to Judas and to the very end, Judas just continued to reject. And so, certainly Judas's story is absolutely unique. He's one of the twelve. They're in the upper room. This sets in motion the events of the betrayal, arrest, crucifixion of Christ. We understand the wages of sin. In other words, the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so there is a real strong temptation. I've had so many conversations with people who understand the gospel and understands God's grace and God's love for them and they even believe it's true, but yet there is this hesitation to surrender their heart to Jesus as Lord. And because there is this struggle that says this, I, I, I can't come to Jesus the way I am. I mean, there's like this, this negotiating with our soul that we're like, well, okay, we're going to get this right and we're going to get this right and, and then I'm going to come back and then I'm going to make it right. Then I'm going to get it right with God. But it's been said before and, and it's true is that that's a dead end road. Like nobody is good enough and we can't be good enough. Jesus just receives us in His grace. And that if that's you, the the... It's been said that then you're, then you're godlier than David, you're wiser than Solomon, and you're stronger than Samson. Because each one of those men thought that they were good enough or strong enough in those ways. But the reality is, is that sin is a dead-end road. And so many of y'all know I was, a, I was an insurance agent before I surrendered ministry, and as a Kid growing up, we all have heroes growing up, and, and, and we all have heroes now. I have heroes now, and, and like I remember like growing up, my, my, one of my first heroes was the Karate Kid. I mean, he, I wanted to be Ralph Macchio. I, I was who I wanted to be, but then I grew up, and, and you know, if it was baseball, I wanted to be Will Clark. He was my favorite baseball player growing up, or, or like I remember like Memphis State in the old days, John Wilfong. Like, I was John Wilfong as far as, as I was concerned. And I would pretend and to be like, and, and what's happened as I grow mature, my, my heroes started changing a little bit. Uh, and as God was growing me and maturing me and stretching me, I began to, 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 uh, to follow after godly men. And, and I'll never forget, early on in ministry, I was still an insurance agent, had not uh, served at a local church other than in a, you know, serving as a Sunday school teacher with high school seniors. 
but I, would, I, was, I sat under the teaching of someone who became one of my heroes. And I, and I wrote this in the, and it was an older Bible that I had before, but I wrote it in the inside of my Bible and he said this, and I don't know, maybe somebody else quoted it, maybe you've heard it before, but I believe it's true, especially in light of what we see in Judas. And it's this, sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin keeps you longer than you want to stay. Sin costs you more than you want to pay. Sin plays for keeps. And I believe that's true. And I believe that would be Judas's testimony. And, and what breaks my heart is that my hero that spoke this is no longer serving in ministry because sin kept him longer than he wanted to, 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 to stay and cost way more than he wanted to pay. But sin loses its power when you bring it into the light. And the glory of Christ shines the brightest in great darkness. That's why this seems so dark and it seems so... But listen, don't miss this. In just a couple days, the tomb is going to be empty. Okay, like, like there is a... The glorious light of Christ is shining brightly even in this dark moment. In John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that passage because it's just, listen, as dark as it may seem and as dark as it gets, be mindful. Turn your gaze to Jesus and He is the light of the world. And so, believer, if you are in the room today and you are in the invisible war, like not apples and apples, we understand that. But yet the principle of the invisible war, we all understand, we all relate with and it could be that there is a war that is silently being waged in your heart and in your mind, and nobody else knows it, but just be encouraged. Jesus does, and Jesus loves you, and He extends His grace toward you with a desire to wrap His grace around you, hold you close, rest in the forgiveness that is through Him, and that you would be renewed in your relationship with Him and so the encouragement is bring it to the light. And sin loses the light, loses its power in the light. And to the person who is living outside of a personal relationship with Christ, then I want us to be encouraged that even though this betrayal is so bleak and so dark, let's not miss the fact of what is being set in motion. And that is that this is all a part of the plan. Jesus told us this is how it was going to happen. And so nobody's being caught off guard here. Jesus is the only one who lays down his life and takes it back up again. No man takes Christ's life from him. And so this is all part of the plan because in just a few hours, he is going to carry a beam up, the, up to the top of a hill that is called Calvary. And on that cross, he is going to become sin for us that the Bible says that this is what we call the substitutionary work of Christ because He pays the price we could never pay on our own. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might have or become the righteousness 
of God. I want you to just take a moment and try to imagine the last time you were refreshed. Like, I don't know, maybe it was after a practice or maybe it was after work or maybe, like, I don't know what it was, but I want you to go to the place where you were so exhausted and something happened that just absolutely refreshed you. And I want, I want us to hear Acts chapter 3, verse 19, to the sinner living apart from a relationship with Jesus. Repent, therefore, turn your back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God loves you so much. So, so very much. And that He extends in His grace this opportunity to have a relationship with Him and forgiveness and grace and restoration with God. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, thank You for this dark night that You've given us in Your Word. But the fact that Your glorious light is shining brightly against this darkest moment. And Father, I do pray for... I pray for every believer in this room. God, we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We all have our struggles. We all have the things we're wrestling with. And God... You know perfectly and intimately what those are. And so I pray we would not be discouraged or feel like I want to run and hide from God. Rather, the fact that you see the struggle no one else sees is so, is such a blessing. Because even though you know us still, even though you see the war that is raging with sin and temptation, you love us still. And so, God, thank you for your grace and your love and your forgiveness that is extended to us in the struggle. And I pray, God, for the believer who is weary from the struggle, from the war, and that today would be that time of renewal and refreshment through repentance and faith, not just feeling sad for our sin, that conviction, but repenting, it's a change of direction, a change of mind, God, made possible through the work of the Spirit. God, help us to respond to Your mercy and grace that is always there. God, I do pray for the sinner who has not begun a relationship with You and perhaps not saying they're... Like, like Judas, but in the sense of Judas, he had this outward, this outward lifestyle thing going. But God, you knew his heart. You knew his heart was far from you. And so God, I just pray for that heart that's far from you. That God, if there is any temptation that says, well, I'm just going to clean myself up. I'm just going to get this thing worked out. And then in a few days, in a few weeks, in a few months, Maybe next year, and there's just this putting off and putting off and putting off, God, I pray, they would respond to Your grace, respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and repent and believe that they would be absolutely refreshed. Refreshed. So Father, we love You. We praise You. And pray that You would find ourselves humble 
yielded and absolutely surrendered to you to do whatever you want to do in our lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you, God, for the word that reminds us that you demonstrate your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, you gave your life for us. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me and we're going to have a time of response. Just encourage you. Altars open. Pastors will be here to pray with you. But just to give our hearts to the Lord and be obedient in however he leads in this time.